On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're rolling our dice with the new G.I. Joe origin movie. That's right. We saw Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. Get your popcorn ready. Cobra is coming. I need warriors to fight them. Join us. When I stand. Good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. And joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, via via satellite coming to us from Las Vegas. David, how you doing? Doing great. There's lots of uh, lots of snake eyes coming up this way. I was gonna say, have you been? I hope you haven't been rolling snake eyes where you're at. No, I haven't. I haven't spent too much time at the craps table just just yet, or uh, or will I? It's uh, it's you you lose a little too quick there, much like uh, not not unlike in this movie. It rem- <laughs> it's very true. It's a very good point. I. Uh, you know, we you know, we we were we were thinking about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to talk about because I don't think either you or I were big growing up with GI Joe. Were you? Cuz for me, I felt like I just missed it. I felt like GI Joe was a little before my time as a kid. It was a little more cuz I was born in we were both born in 86 and I think it was a little more earlier 80s. Yeah. Before we started watching television, you know, I think it was definitely a little bit before our time. I also think, you know, the exposure that I had to it were in some of the action figures, maybe that I got from my cousins or even that I maybe had. Um, But I didn't watch the TV show or, you know, read any of the stuff out there. So, you know, I, I knew some of the characters and I had a friend that was really into it, but I, personally did not have a huge connection with it like i could recognize things like snake eyes and some of the other characters but you know i didn't have that same level of connection so it definitely wasn't you know something that when i heard there was going to be a gi joe series that like got me just like absolutely amped you know right it was something that i was curious to see what they did with it uh you know as any adaption we've it's not unusual anymore for us to get these adaptions from comic books and action figures and different things like that. So it was more to see kind of how they did, because obviously we've gotten Transformers, which is another Hasbro yep. uh, toy line. That that, that one did hit me, though. Yep. Transformers was, I had the toys. I watched the cartoon. I watched all that stuff. I was into Transformers for sure. G.I. Joe, not so much. And I wonder and we'll, we'll obviously we'll talk about the franchise, you know, in a little bit. But I wonder if that's why the franchise itself hasn't been able to really 
dig the roots in the way that like Transformers did because we got what like six seven Transformers movies including Bumblebee we're getting we're getting new ones are in the works right now you know th- that franchise had Michael Bay behind the helm and it, and it blew up and it, and it made billions and billions of dollars and you had these other two G.I. Joe movies which didn't really capture what was so fun about the cartoon and the shows, which, which was cheesy, but like, it was like, everybody was like a themed character who only had like one thing, one guy, you know, like shipwreck is just like a, you know, sailor out of the village people. And that's his thing. He's a sailor. And they didn't really do that with those movies. And I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons that it hasn't exploded is because it may be, hit that nostalgia kind of age group just a little bit too late. Um, but, you know, what? whatever, man. Like, I, I like good action movies. I like good war movies and stuff. And there were two previous ones before this, right? There was G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, mm-hmm. which I think you, you have some stats on. We'll leave you to the stats in, in that. And then there was G.I. Joe Retaliation which I liked yep. more than Rise of Koba, if I remember. But what was their success? What was the success of those previous two entries? So interesting enough, every, it's it's been a franchise that has been pretty darn consistent. So you started off with Rise of Cobra, made a little over $300 million on about $175 million budget. Retaliation made three seventy five, so definitely had an improvement there, which okay. I would basically point to The Rock and say – the rock is probably good for that 75 million, at least <laughs> on his own. Uh, then you had that one had a budget of 130 million. So somehow they got the rock made a sequel and did it for $45 million less four years later. So props to them on that. But reviews wise, they've been pretty consistent. First one was 34. Second one was 29 snake eyes right now is at 42. Um, the second one probably has the best, you know, kind of fan review. It's Cinescore is A minus. The other two are in the Bs, which okay. again, one might contribute to you throw the rock in there. You're probably gonna you're probably good for at least an A minus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Who doesn't people like the love rock? the rock. He's the there's a reason he's the people's champ. Yes. It's but, um yeah. It's a weird franchise, man. I mean the the directors you know, the first one was directed by Steven Summers, who pretty much built a incredible amount of goodwill on The Mummy and making The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. He also directed Deep Rising, which is one of my favorite monster movies of the 90s. But like Steven Summers hasn't he directed one other movie since G.I. Joe. He directed Odd Thomas, which was a Anton Yelchin uh, like direct to video movie and then John M. Chu who directed the second one you know that guy's known for being a, a visual filmmaker most of his stuff was in you know musical types of movies but he made he just made in the heights he made crazy rich Asians he did now you see me too he did G.I. Joe retaliation he did Justin Bieber's uh movie he did a bunch of step up movies so like that guy's been building a filmography and that guy can 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 handle directorial, you know, duties, if you will. Um, and then this movie was directed by Robert Schwenke, who, for all intents and purposes, is like, you know, pretty great dude. But this guy 
is just his his filmography i'm sorry to say is just nothing but mediocre it's flight plan which is a mediocre jodie foster thriller it's red which is a mediocre boomer action movie r.i.p.d which is a less than mediocre attempt at men in black <laughs> two of the divergent movies which is a mediocre franchise that didn't even get finished a movie called the captain which i've never heard of apparently it's a german movie and that leads us to kind of one of the overarching questions that i wanted to ask you which is everything is about ip everything is about sequels and franchises whether it be Universal Studios movies like Jurassic World or Fast and Furious or Minions. Obviously, you have Marvel. You have all of the stuff that Warner Brothers is doing, which is a lot. I'm not now's not the time to litigate it. <laughs> but we were having an interesting conversation off of the microphone, which is, you know, G.I. Joe is far enough along that it's a franchise but it's been kind of mediocre in terms of success. Like it's total box office is not anywhere close to, you know, any of those franchises that I mentioned. And granted there's only th three movies and the first one's only been out for a week, but we're not even talking about hitting half a billion. We're, we're talking about not even clearing 400 million worldwide, not even clearing a hundred and, 50 barely in the United States. And so the question is really like outside of Marvel and there's been others beyond Marvel, obviously, but what does it take to create a successful franchise at this point? Do you think like we, we have different people trying different things, whether it be letting the star guide the franchise, whether it be letting the producer guide the franchise, whether it be letting the directors and the filmmakers guide the franchise. So what do you think it takes to create a successful franchise? Because we're going to talk non-spoilers a little bit, but I think one of this movie's biggest flaws is that it is just so poorly filmed. It is so poorly actually shot and directed that it's almost distracting. But what are your thoughts on that? What do you think takes, what do you think it takes to make a good franchise? Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Because I think we we talk about how you know we're in this age of the franchise, but like as far as like truly, truly successful, like on the 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 level that we think of like these, you know, comic book or games or those types of things, we always go to Marvel as kind of the measuring stick, which is probably unfair. Um, as it's you really unfair. <laughs> Transformers, you know, for all the issues that we potentially have with the Transformer movies, by all accounts and purposes, has been a successful franchise. Um, you know, if we go before Marvel, you've got, you know, Harry Potter and um, Lord of the Rings, you know, and things like that. And so there's other successful franchises out there um, outside of Marvel. But I think first and foremost, it's, it's got to start with leadership, you know, and, and we'll use, you know, I'll use Feige and Marvel as, as an example, but I think you can even go to, if you went to the Lord of the Rings and you look at um, 
Oh, what's his name? Who directed it? Uh, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Um, you look at the passion that he had for that project and the vision that he had kind of start to finish. And granted, you have a book that you're following in that case and, and similar with Harry Potter to that degree. But um, I think having someone who has kind of more than just the next movie in mind and what the direction is going to be. And, you know, I think it also takes a studio that's bought into being patient because, you know, when you have this IP that's already established and you have these storylines and these characters and people have attachments to them, you know, there's beloved characters and things like that. It's easy to want to rush into playing all those cards, you know, at the same time and just blowing things up right away. Like let's introduce everybody right away versus, you know, you look at the restraint that like Marvel had in, in the sense that we're going to come out with Iron Man who isn't even close to our, our biggest name of the IP that we have. And we're going to do consecutive movies on, on him the character and we're going to sprinkle in things to to bigger things in there but we're going to really kind of lay this foundation and start with diving into this character and i think that takes guts to to a large degree to to sell you know a studio that we're not going to get to the big team up where all the characters and everything that everybody wants we're not going to get there for quite a few movies and you know, I think you saw that to some degree with Warner Brothers and Justice League. You know, they ran out of that patience. Yes, they started out with a couple Superman movies, but then they kind of jumped <laughs> multiple steps from that and not to go down that path of Warner Brothers. But right. I do think it starts with kind of leadership. And then I think when you get into the granular, like actual individual movies, you know, writing is super important. I think who you pick to direct and even to film, like to make it feel like a cohesive franchise. Like right. you shouldn't go movie to movie feeling like it doesn't work with what I just watched. Like it's one thing, like, and we saw that with Marvel, like depending which movie you were in, it had its own tone, right? Like Thor had its own tone in the beginning then versus Iron Man and same with Captain America. like. There was differences. Sure. It wasn't so much that it felt like almost jarring to some degree. Like, what did I just go into? And um, so I think you got to have some cohesiveness. And then I think you have to get lucky to some degree with the acting and the talent that you have. Like Marvel, you know, you can kind of make it a a, uh, a chicken there or the egg thing with like people like Chris Evans and uh, Chris Pratt and things like that and say, you know, did their, did their ability, you know, make the Marvel franchise work or did the Marvel franchise turn them into stars? Um, doesn't really matter for this discussion, but you do have to have people that people latch onto and like, and I think it all has to kind of work together uh, through all those pieces. If you want to have or create something that's even close to what Marvel have. I, I don't think it's fair to say like, what's going to be the next Marvel. Cause I think that's a standard that is just not fair to judge off of. But even if you want to say like, what's the next dark Knight series or right. You know, that we got from Christopher Nolan or Harry Potter or those types of things. Like 
it takes all of those things and you can't really do it without all of those pieces. I don't think. No, it's, and I think, I mean, I think there's a little bit of luck involved. I think you're hundred percent right. But like you said, like leadership is an incredible, um, intangible. And when you have leadership in place, the other, the other thing to consider is, I just think Marvel has such a rich history as well. And so the leadership of something like Marvel is really benefited by the fact that somebody like Kevin Feige is such a student and steward of that history. Somebody who knows who these characters are, what makes them tick, what makes them popular, and being able to successfully translate that is a big part of it. Having that cohesive, creative vision is really, really important. You know, we talked about the direction. Um, Marvel, particularly Marvel, uh, I would say is not the most... I don't want to say it's not the most director friendly because you get somebody like Taika who comes in and just gets to do whatever they want and absolutely succeeds in that model. Um, But then again, you get, you know, some one-offs you get, uh, you know, Kenneth Branagh directed the first Thor and didn't come back because we're going to change it to different style than the Shakespearean mythology and all that kind of thing but i'll tell you one of the things about snake eyes and this we can shift into the non-spoiler thoughts about the snake eyes gi joe origins is that you're taking a character who is the coolest dude who doesn't say anything who's an awesome ninja mute doesn't takes a vow of silence and looks badass and wears this costume. And then you cast one of the most charming Asian American actors to come along in quite some time, like a good looking dude in Henry Golding to not be mute and to not cover his face. And I just, I'm just, and, and to talk <laughs> and to, and to have all this stuff. And it's just like, that doesn't necessarily make the movie bad because I think the movie overall, I I actually enjoyed quite a bit except for a few glaring weaknesses, but that's not snake eyes, I guess it's, it's weird. It's just a weird thing where I think as this movie played out, I really enjoyed this kind of feudal Japan gang crime story about this guy caught in the middle of the Yakuza and this, you know, this, this not ancient, but this historical Japanese clan over some MacGuffin, you know, as they always, as there always is. And I, I liked it. I liked the way that they plotted this out. I liked that they dabbled in just enough GI Joe to say like, Oh, we got GI Joe and we got Cobra and they're out there and they're doing their thing but we're going to have our mute ninja character be the eyes into the world. I don't know about that. It just doesn't feel still, even though I enjoyed this movie, it didn't feel very cohesive, especially when it comes to what I know about GI Joe and what I know about the character. What did you think about it? What did, what did, what did you think non-spoilers about snake eyes? 
Yeah, I think, you know, it, it was one of those things that I walked out and I was like, this should have worked, but there's some things that I think in particular that kind of led it astray. One, I think writing wise, it wasn't one of those movies where like you'll think back on like just some like atrocious lines, like things right. like that. Like, it wasn't like writing from that standpoint. But there was like, also nothing I can walk away from and be like, oh yeah. Yeah, there was no monologue that was fantastic. You know, like usually these types of movies have like a speech or like something that's like building and and everything kind of felt one tone the whole way. Like because you kind of drop in hot with like within five, 10 minutes of the movie, like the pace is set pretty fast right? as far as action. And it kind of continues throughout even when you know there's not drama there's still action and fighting or or things like that or training and so everything kind of feels the same tone throughout it uh, I don't know any other way to put it it there's no it never gets higher stakes it doesn't feel even when we get a MacGuffin and we get some crazy stuff happen with that that we'll talk about in spoilers like it always kind of feels like that same level. And I think, you know, writing wise, I think if this story was kind of organized a little bit differently and, you know, actors were given a little bit more to like actually like sink their teeth into and like right. do, I think there was something there because the other thing I would say is like from a look standpoint, it looks great. Yeah. For pretty much the entire movie. And, and, and we were in a theater that we both are going to chalk up somewhat to, we think the projector was a little dark. It is a dark movie, but it still looked great on there. Yeah. The problem was it was let down by, we have these great sequences, these like Yakuza, you know, one on 50 type of sequences where like we're seeing it from like inches away from the hero or the main character. And I'm sure there's great choreography happening, but like, I can't see 90% of it. And yeah. so it, you know, and I get like directors film close sometimes. So you feel the intensity, you feel the hits, you feel all of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, I want to see some of the spectacle of it too. Like yeah. if you're going to have these awesome action sequences, like let me fully appreciate and see everything that happened. I shouldn't be like, wait, I think that was really cool. Like I should be able to have those memorable scenes. And as I think back through the fight sequences, it's hard to remember any like really cool moves because I felt like I was too zoomed in right. on everything. It's, it's really let down by its action photography more than anything, because, you know, as you said, uh, it, it does look good. Like there's stuff in, in apparently Tokyo, and there's stuff in the lit cities and there's some really gorgeous like forest shots and some some really good stuff. But it, the, the action filmmaking is just incoherent. The shaky cam is not only way too close to the action when it's happening, <laughs> but it's way too shaky and it's shaky even in scenes where like it there's no reason for it to be shaking there's a scene where a character is walking down an empty hallway 
that is shaking. And I'm just like, why is this happening? Why, why am I, do I feel like I'm having a tremor or something because the, the freaking camera keeps shaking the first, I knew the first fight. Cause you see the fight in the trailer where, where he's street fighting a guy with like a freaking sledgehammer and chains. I knew I was going to have a problem. I was like, I hope the whole movie is not like this. And a, aside from a couple of kind of wider money shots, which are good. Like there's a couple shots where, uh, you know, they're fighting on the, on the, the 18 wheeler hauling cars, or they're fighting in the, um, the clans. I don't even know what that's called. Like the, the headquarters, if you will, where it's like, okay, no, that's cool shot. Like that's a cool singular shot. Yeah. But then all of a sudden we're boom, 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 boom. We're getting really close into it. And everybody is just betrayed by that action because even though they don't have really anything juicy to sink their teeth into dialogue wise, like the cast is pretty good. Henry Golding is pretty good. As a matter of fact, I think, I I guess it depends on what happens with the GI Joe franchise. Cause like you said, there's theoretically there's several, there's multiple scripts out for a four film that was supposed to have the rock back, but Mm-hmm. The, they weren't really talking about that between ever since like 2018. So I don't know where that's at, but Henry Golding could be like James Bond. Like he's that like cool and he can do action and, and stuff like that. And he can have a little bit of a dark side. He's not just a pretty boy. He's pretty good in this movie as the infamous GI Joe silent masked ninja snake eyes. Can't really can't really grade it because he's not really playing that character. He's talking, he's doing all kinds of stuff, but like Andrew Koji, who is from uh, the TV show, I think warrior is pretty good as the future storm shadow. You know, you got my guy, Eco Uwais in there. You got Samara weaving showing up. Even the, even the girl, uh, Ursula, Ursula Corbero, who plays Baroness. Yep. They do it defined like they're they're acceptable. I would watch more movies with these characters and and watch more movies as this world, you know, expands. But not if not if freaking Schwenke is the one directing it. Yeah, I, I like I don't know what to tell you. And there's some weird stuff in here that that obviously needs spoilers. But I overall liked it. It's just it wasn't this. I don't know. I don't I just don't know. I'm very middle of the road on it. You know, I'm very like, this is fine. I, it's I, solid. I think it basically, you know, for people who have seen the other ones, it's kind of more of the same. Like there's, you know, it looks great, especially in certain stretches. There's some good action, but it's kind of just, eh. And I think that's, you know, where it's at review wise and, in Rotten Tomatoes, you know, it's it feels like a 45 to 50 percenter type of movie. It's, you know, a, a B minus type of Cinescore type of thing. Like it feels like right in that range. And that's that's something where it's one of those movies where I could see someone really enjoying it, not really caring about some of its faults. I could see another person being like, dude, that was terrible. And I wouldn't necessarily 
have huge disagreements with either side. Right. <laughs> if you came to me with that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. It's just and again, it's just like, well, this is this is what you're trying to make the franchise, but it's it's okay. And I don't know. Uh, I think if you if you want to watch a, a a really good, like if if you want to watch not even really good, like if you want to watch pretty decent Japanese crime movie between the Yakuza and you know this this honorable clan, uh, you could do way worse. You could do way worse. If you want to see some 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 decent action, you could do way worse. But sure. but yeah, it's I don't know. It, 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 it it's hard to get really jacked about it, despite the fact that I, I go ahead and make another G.I. Joe movie and I'll watch it. And I got no qualms about that. So, well, I do want to talk about spoilers because there are some things in this movie that I do want to point out and talk about. As ridiculous, but in a fun way, not in a way that really affected the the, the enjoyment of the movie. Before we get into spoilers, we, we got to give our popcorn ratings for Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never if you've never listened to our podcast before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or instead of thumbs up, we have our popcorn ratings. Burnt popcorn means a movie is garbage. It is not good. Don't waste your time on it. Stale popcorn means it's not great. If you can avoid it, find something better. Please do try not to pay, pay any money for it. Microwave popcorn means it's all right. Your mileage may vary. It's not very good, but it's also, you know, not incredibly terrible either. That's microwave popcorn. Movie theater popcorn means you should go see this movie in a movie theater. You know, take time out. Don't rush, but it's worth going to see on the big screen. And then perfect popcorn means go see this on the biggest screen possible as soon as you can. So, David, what is your popcorn rating for Snake Eyes? I'm going to give it solid right in the middle microwave popcorn. It's it's kind of the definition to me of what microwave popcorn is. Yeah. You know, even when you think about the concept of microwave popcorn and like, Listen, you you and I both are AMC A-list people, so we can see three movies a week for not free, but for our monthly subscription. And I enjoyed seeing this movie in the theater. I enjoyed seeing it on the big screen. I love, obviously, the movie theater experience. Love it. So I'm happy I saw it there. But had I paid, you know, money specifically for that movie and had gone out of my way to go see it, at a specific time or that I might've been a little bit more disappointed in it. So it would be one of those things where it's like, if you got a couple hours to waste and you love going to the movies, sure, go see it. But if you're someone who, you know, like me normally, where it's like, if you, if me and the wife want to go see a movie, we got to pay a babysitter, you know, 60 bucks or something for for three hours or three plus hours to get dinner in a movie like i would be disappointed i would be let down by going and seeing this <laughs> so i might uh just stream it when i can stream it so it's, it's that's and that to me is microwave popcorn right that's why it's microwave usually when you're microwaving popcorn you're watching it at home so 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. I do. I think you, I think you said it best. Where I'm pretty sure this is the epitome of what a microwave popcorn movie is. I think if you, if you like anything that we said, if you like Japanese crime movies, if you like GI Joe, if you like Snake Eyes, like take the time to go to a movie theater. Do it safely, obviously. But if you are going to be investing some great amount of time or money to do so, I just I don't know that if it's that it's necessarily worth it. It's very middle of the road. It's very my microwave popcorn. It is. Capital F fine. <laughs> and 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 that's OK. You know, that's OK. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it being that way. Um. You know, it's not to, it's certainly not the worst movie we've seen this year by by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I nope. do want to talk spoilers. I know I said I wanted to talk spoilers before and I still do. But before we talk spoilers, we got to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of the Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. And we're back. All right, David. Let's talk a little spoilers here for, for Snake Eyes. Uh, there's not a ton to talk about. I mean, it is pretty straightforward. I did appreciate that Snake Eyes is kind of like a bad guy in this movie. Like, he's kind of a rogue more than I anticipated in that you think he's a good guy, but it turns out he's actually still working for the bad guys, and part of his quote-unquote journey or part of his character arc is is realizing, you know, that that's not the right way of doing things. But I kind of like how they played that out. What were some of your favorite, you know, parts in the movie? What were some of the better parts that you enjoyed? Yeah, I... It's tough because I enjoyed everything, but it kind of like we've talked about, everything was everything was fine. So it's like nothing was necessarily like over the top, like I want to go rewatch that on YouTube right. type of scenes or anything like that. Um, I enjoyed the storyline to your point, you know, kind of the flip-flopping back and forth of Snake Eyes. You know, you you always feel like obviously at some point he's going to turn into a good guy but you do have kind of that flip-flopping back and forth. Um, and so he's not necessarily this, you know, this hero the whole time. And so I, I appreciated that. I appreciated getting into some of the, kind of the lore. Um, I'm always for getting kind of the background story and, and learning about the world that we're in and things like that. Um, that being said, all of it felt just it just lacking in some way, you know, like the whole three challenges thing, you know, I was here for like, let's take them through the three challenges of a ninja, but then 
the last one being, you know, you go into the snake pit and the snakes know whether you're pure of heart or not. And it kind of takes you out of kind of the moment, like, all right. And then, but it's like three CGI giant anacondas. Like that's the thing, right? Is, is a regular anaconda is scary enough. Yes. Okay. A regular normal. And listen, it can be CG. That's fine. It can be whatever you want it to be. Normal anacondas are scary. These are unreasonably large, (laughs) gigantic anacondas. The head is the size of an entire human man. Like if you want to drop me into a pit with Komodo dragons that can sense fear or anacondas that can sense pure of heart, like, I'll go with it. Fine. (laughs) But you're giving me like dinosaurs here. This is some monster movie shit that I, and listen, I'm okay with that too. The problem is the previous 90 minutes of the movie are like this straight laced Japanese crime movie. And suddenly there's three giant fake anacondas. I'm just like, well, that's. Well, and well, and even when you think about the challenges, like, we get built up into like, there's these three challenges. Oh, are you sure he's ready? Like he might die, like going through these challenges, like right. you better make sure he's ready. And the first challenge is basically figuring out that you just got to ask for the cup of water. I like that. I thought that I, that I was, was, I was, it was a good flip things on its head. The second one though, like didn't even necessarily feel like a challenge. Like right. it was kind of like, we're going to give him this vision or something about where he's going is going to cause him to see his dad or. Yeah. He's got to confront that trauma that's deep in his soul. It's like, uh, you know, when Luke Skywalker goes walking through the, through the forest in Dagobah or whatever, like you got to be confronted with your fear. See, but I expected them to like sit in a room and, you know, drink some magical tea or something that causes you to hallucinate or, you know, smoke some peyote in a, in a in a tent or something but it was just he just walked to a random place with the one the blind master or whatever and all of a sudden it happened so which was fine but again like all of that was pretty like straightforward and then all of a sudden we're in a snake pit with yep. giant anacondas not <laughs> not so- only are we in a snake pit with giant anacondas but then we are introduced to the MacGuffin-y in it, MacGuffin-iest MacGuffin that I've seen in a while, which is basically like a like a fire gem that turns that just you can just shoot fire. Which again, it like GI Joe's got some weird shit in it. They got Cobra Commander. They got all kinds of weird stuff. They got literally. I remember there was Destro's got like a metal head. There was an action figure that was literally half of a like literally a man whose top half was a man and bottom half was a gigantic snake bottom, like cool, man, whatever. It was just, it just didn't fit with the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, you know, it's, it's cool. It's fine. Like, I like that. Um, I liked you. You mentioned really well how I, and I agree. Like, I really liked how they had Cobra and GI Joe in this movie where a lot of people complain like, oh, Samara Weaving isn't in it enough. And it's like, well, she's not supposed to be. She's kind of in it the perfect amount for what they were trying to do. Um, yeah, I, I, thought it, I, I like thought that. It, 
I thought it echoed a lot of some of the restraint that we saw in like the Marvel franchise going back to that. Like when we just sprinkled in ScarJo as Black Widow, you know, as that character to that we all know what that leads to and what's coming with that character. But at the same time, we don't have to jump straight into like trying to tell the backstory or introduce this other character. Like if we're going natural progression, like I would be perfectly fine if like the next movie is about her and her backstory and her beef with Baroness or, or, you know, their origins, the two of them, like, it would make sense. So like, I loved kind of how this was a snake eyes movie because the movie is called snake eyes. So let's make it a snake eyes movie and show his origin, which I thought they did. And that's where like, you know, you just feel like there's some missed potential because like the concept was good and surprisingly restrained, but just the execution of it was so lacking in so many areas. I, uh, I'll tell you, here's, here's another thing. I didn't mind this story, okay? I really didn't. But I have, I do have a problem with Snake Eyes being invited into the clan, directly spons- responsible for giving the gem up to their mortal enemy, like never once apologizing for it. The place is nearly burned to the ground. And then Storm Shadow uses the gem one time to defend his clan. And they're like, Snake Eyes, you're in the G.I. Joe's. Storm Shadow, you're out. Like, you are, and I was just like, this seems a little drastic. That doesn't seem like, like, Snake Eyes doesn't even say sorry. He doesn't even, there's not even a moment. There's a moment where him and Storm Shadow, who's not yet Storm Shadow, are fighting on the or getting ready to fight on the top of the uh the the car transport where I was just like dude just tell him you made a mistake tell him I'm sorry I'm trying to make it right and they never say that and they just start fighting and I'm just like <laughs> well and he never fully explains like you got the kind of quasi like you think maybe it's gonna be like a love connection with him and uh, uh What's her name? It is Akiko. Uh, Akiko? Akiko? I think so. Akiko. Yeah, the head of security for the clan. Like, it seems like maybe there's going to be a little bit of a love connection. Instead, it's more of like she sees herself and him, kind of her background of how she got there. Or at least that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. But, like, you know, you have that moment, the good old. You know, I'm going to call it the point break moment, the shoot your gun <laughs> up in the air moment where she can't finish the job and actually kill Snake Eyes because of the connection. But like, you know, that was a perfect opportunity for that, like, give him something to sink his teeth in, have him like, right, scream and, and say like, they've got my dad's killer. Like I've got to end this. Like, or, you know, like something along those lines where he like just comes out and finally comes clean and says why, you know, and then you could have had her trying to talk him down that like, don't handle it this way. It's not going to, it's not going to result. You're not going to feel good after this. Like it's not going to solve anything. Like there was a, there was opportunity for there, but instead it was like, she, she doesn't go through with it. He takes advantage of that knocks her down and then takes off 
Right. And we get all that at the end, but like there was moments to like add some more weight to it. But like I said, it feels like this, this movie right from the beginning gets gets going at like 50, 60 miles an hour, which is not slow, but it's not exactly fast. Sure. And it just puts the cruise control on and we just stay on that for the whole movie. Like Exactly. Even even when the MacGuffin comes out and we're shooting flames all over the screen, you know, with our mind. <laughs> and which like cool, that, man. <laughs> and that's happening. Like it still never feels. And I think this is something that I'll let you talk to because this is your territory. But like one of the re- reasons that it feels like it's on cruise control is because of the score, if you can even call it a score. Yeah, man, that's a really good, that's another thing too that that I think is, so one of my favorite things to do before I even talk about the score of this movie, one of my favorite things to do is to wait for the new code or uh, wait for the new score, excuse me, to come on Spotify. Usually it comes on Thursday night before release or Friday. That's like Fridays are my favorite because it's like, oh, what new movie scores am I going to listen to? And a movie can just really be elevated by its score. By the musical score that it's in or or if you're not a score person, it's soundtrack like a good you look at Guardians of the Galaxy. You look at movies that are pretty darn good when it comes to putting a soundtrack together or something like that. The guy who did the 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 score for this movie's guy, his name is uh, Martin Todd Shero. This dude's filmography is just like Schwanky's, where it's just there is nothing to me that says that this guy should have gotten this assignment. This is a guy that there's no way he cost a, any amount of money. And listen, I don't mean to crap on Martin Todd Shero. All right. That dude has way more talent than I ever will, especially when it comes to music. But there isn't a single movie on his list that leads me to believe that he should be doing the musical score for a major franchise film. And when you don't have music that elevates the material, when it just becomes sound, that is yet another example of a missed opportunity. Just like, you know, I'm not saying everybody needed catchphrases or something like that, but, you know, I couldn't, if you put a gun to my head right now and told me, like, come up with a catchphrase that somebody says in the movie. I can, and you said, but you can't say the word snake eyes. Well, then kill me. you're going to just have to shoot me in the head and it just doesn't elevate the material and the music doesn't elevate the material. We're sitting there at the end of the movie and, and there's a, Oh my God, this brings up another weird thing, but like the, the, the music over the credits, it's just, it's just noise. It's just, you know, it's a bunch of musical instruments slamming together. And when you look at like, let's take Loki, for example, the score for that show by Natalie Holt is incredible. And it's got people, it's ingrained in people's brains, you know, bong, 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 bong. Like people remember that shit. And I, 
again, couldn't remember anything about the musical score. But that also brings up another really weird thing that I thought. And it was it, it, it was it was in the trailer, uh, the, the credits as well. The credits are like these really flashy, like Japanese um, slot machine style, flashing neon credits. Right. Is that an accurate description? You think, David? Yeah, I would say kind of like that or graffiti it's almost kind of like a mix of the two but yeah i'm, I'm with you neon a lot of neon a lot of neon not anime per se but lots of like tokyo flashing lights and graffiti and neons and stuff like that and i just got to call out what i thought was one of the weirdest things in the movie which is when they actually go from la to tokyo there is a couple of shots of like dudes on a stage like japanese stage show doing japanese drums and like dancers and like geisha dancers that have nothing to do with anything. It was literally just three shots of like Japanese stage performance to announce that we're in Tokyo that are never seen again. There's we're not brought into a theater. We're not shown who these people are performing for. It's literally just like Japanese music starts playing. Boom. There's guys playing Japanese drums. Boom. There's girls in geisha makeup. And then boom, we're in Tokyo. And I just thought that was the weirdest shit. I thought, I, I, I thought it was the weirdest thing in the world to just be like, Tokyo, here's here's guys in robes on drums. And it just didn't have anything to do with anything in the movie. I thought it was going to cut to like them walking through a theater or like a dinner club to meet the head of the house. And those guys were playing in the dinner club or something. Nope, none of that. It literally is Japanese stage performers. And then we're driving into the clan's like compound. And I am just baffled by that. I, I can't say it's good or bad. It was just like, I couldn't believe. I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> Nothing. We're not going to talk about that at all. I, I don't know, man. It was so weird. Uh, but yeah, it's. It's just an odd movie. It's just an odd movie. And so I think the last question, and we talked about it, like I think we, we buried the lead a little bit, which is like if The Rock shows up, I'm going to be there no matter what. But what would you say about are you in for more? You know, are we going to get a fourth G.I. Joe movie that is going to have The Rock in it? Are we going to get a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover? Regardless of what we get, are you in? Funny enough, it's... I, I think I'm at the point with G.I. Joe very much where I am with the other Hasbro f- franchise and Transformers where it's like, listen, I like movies. These movies are all, you know, obviously, in my opinion, much more enjoyable to see on the big screen, whether they have lots of issues or not, as are most movies. And so if I can go see it in a convenient time and I don't have to work too hard to go see it uh-huh. i'm gonna see it like i'm not gonna go out of my way move things around to try and go see it but like if it comes out i'll watch it you know i'll i'll uh, i'll go see it i'll uh, i'll spend a couple hours with it and see what we're doing next yeah it's not like you know it's one of those things where it's it's not it's kind of reinforcing what we've talked about a lot, which is it's not that it was like the worst thing I've ever seen or or even bad, but it's, there was so much there that 
should have worked or could have worked. And it just, you walk away wanting more or feeling like it was fine. Like it wasn't like infinite to keep banging on that one where like you, <laughs> you walk away from it and you're like, that was absolute garbage. Like, I don't even understand half the things that happened. Like, what did I just watch? Like, it's not that. Like, everything in this movie gets told in a way that I understand. Yeah. There's that nothing that with. I feel like. No, there's nothing that I feel like. Even even the big anacondas. Like, I don't feel like I needed more explanation around where these anacondas came from and why they're in the story. Like, does that mean I felt like they needed to be in there? No. But it wasn't like. <laughs> I was left wondering, you know, something. And so like everything worked from the story standpoint. It just, everything seemed like, you know, C work where I was hoping for at least like a B or an A. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. It's, it's tough. I, I would, I would still see more. I'm, I'm the same as you, which is like, I'm just, I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a little less motivated. Maybe I'm a little less eager to see these movies, these, these Hasbro style movies and whatnot. But like, that doesn't mean I won't, you know, if they come out, like they're doing a, I guess they're doing a new transformers movie with, uh, uh, with the beast wars. And they got the director of Creed two doing that. And I'm like, okay, um, that's, you have my interest with the people involved, you know? And so, yeah, like uh, again, new GI Joe movie shows up. It's got, you know, freaking adam driver is cobra commander <laughs> whatever like i'll be there sure let's go um I, I, but I but think, yeah i think i've put my finger on what i think this this franchise is missing okay and i think it is similar to yours your and my feelings is that it just needs someone who's passionate about it like and the reason i bring that up is because you look at venom like venom by all accounts is a movie that should not have worked and I yes. still don't think anybody walked away from Venom saying that was that was right up there with the Avengers. Like, yep. put this in the Super Bowl or the Superhero Hall of Fame. But man, you could feel Tom Hardy's passion for Venom and yeah. the character. And despite all of its flaws, that's what at the end of the day made that movie enjoyable and something that you know I think went to that next level of what it made box office wise, as well as the reason why as freaking <laughs> terrible as the next one looks yeah. from the previews, I'm still going to be there watching it when it comes out because I know that Tom Hardy gives a crap about it and is fully invested in at at least putting on a show in his role. And so like, I think that's what's missing from G.I. Joe. No one, everybody seems like to some degree they're cashing a check and this is IP. And so we know it's bankable from some degree. So like, let's do it. Like even The Rock, when he was in his G.I. Joe movie, like yeah. you didn't feel like maybe what you get from some of his other movies. And even like, and granted we were in a different age, social media back then, but like, I don't remember the social media push from, the rock around that movie and like the real like drive for trying to get excitement around it. Like you see out of like a lot of his other franchises or movies and stuff like that. So 
Um, yeah, I think if you found someone that like GI Joe's was their jam and they were all about it and all they want to do is make a movie that honors and respects that, then I think this could become something really good. But if it continues to be approached as like an asset and IP, and this is something that we have a concept and we have a story and we have characters that are recognizable and we can sell action figures and we can just make some money off of this. Like it's still going to be just okay movies. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's really well put is even if, even if the final product isn't great, even if not everybody involved, isn't the best of the best or even doing their best work. Passion really does make up a lot of that you're 100 percent correct and i think that analogy with venom is both weird and yet really accurate <laughs> that venom is clearly not a very good movie and yet it's enjoyable everybody's in and we're gonna get a weird second one so- well and guess what i can tell you a scene <laughs> from venom that i would go and rewatch again and it would yes. be in the restaurant with the fish tank <laughs> like I will go rewatch that scene once we're done with this, just because it's a lot of fun Absolutely. and it's weird and crazy, but like there was nothing in that in snake eyes. Like I couldn't even suggest a scene to go back and rewatch other than maybe if I want to show people the ridiculously large anacondas. Yes. It's, it's very true. It's very well said. Well, I think that is a good place to put a pin on it. But before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can get free episodes of the Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button, hit that follow button wherever you listen to podcasts. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, and share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget that you can check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of an independent film podcast at a time where film desperately needs our support that's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but certainly not least you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but for the canadian machine mr david melhorn i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet Adios.